Welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This is episode 93. This is a very impromptu one. I've got Stan sitting at the table uh, with me. And I asked Stan to, to come over and, and record an episode about a transition that he made back from when I first met him to today. And I guess that would be about nine years ago, pretty close to it. When I first met Stan, who is an IT manager, he was... I remember when I first met him, this is before I even knew his name, I looked at him sitting across the table from me at a men's group, and he looked like he was about to have an aneurysm, and he was wound up so tight with anxiety and stress and fear that like, I didn't even know him, but I was kind of concerned that maybe he was going to have a heart attack sitting at the table right there in the men's group, and that is definitely not the stand that I know now, and a stand made quite a journey from where he was to where he is. And I wanted to bring him on here because I know that as, as competent men uh, become more and more taxed, as, as more and more the labor force sort of checks out, uh, which we sort of discussed in the uh, Disconnection Roundtable, which is going to be probably three or four episodes previous to this one, that the stress that starts to – that people, the world is trying to park on the shoulders of competent men is is only going to increase – as the labor market dwindles and people check out to work in their pajamas out of their house all day and don't really want to uh, participate in in any heavy lifting. So Stan, welcome back. Hello. And um, so I this is largely about just letting you kind of tell about that journey because you're very familiar with this journey. And I've already said what I saw when I first met you. And you are definitely a completely different man. Yeah, so... Kind of going back to the beginning, uh, back to like when we first met and how we all got together. I'm not originally from the area. I had moved down here from where I lived and was familiar with for my whole life. So just kind of picked up roots and, and moved on. Had experienced some issues kind of in my own personal life, mostly, shortly after my father had passed away. And so that, that really kind of left a mark on me in terms of just having someone gone who I'd grown so accustomed to being able to turn to, almost to the point of didn't really realize it, how much I relied on that or might have taken advantage of that until it wasn't there. I had moved here for work, and part of the whole thing in me moving, we had talked about it as a family, my wife and I. Kids were very young. We felt like, hey, if we were going to try something, this would be a good opportunity. I had a lot of doubts about it, but... You know, one of the things that kind of preceded me us making the decision was the fact that at the time my boss came to me and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to be helping, you know, start up this new location. You know, I worked for this gentleman for over 10 years. And he said, I would, if you can make it happen, I'd love to have you part of my team to come down and, and do this. And looking back, and even at the time, I think I kind of realized that was one of the most overt expressions of confidence in like my work, some of what I was producing as a father, a husband, someone at work, right? That those had kind of all been blended so together and work had become such a big part of my life as a provider for, like I said, my family as a husband and, and father. You know, that that type of expression was just like it was kind of eye opening for me. I was like, oh, you know, so I've got really I've got confidence. Like this is I've one area of my life that is kind of like taken care of in this move. So I felt really good about it. You know, felt like, I hey, we're going to move. We're going to have things to sort out like where do we live? 
what's a whole new state like living in? What are the law? What are the laws? How do you move around? What is what's a new city? You know, all that kind of stuff. Like we would be able to discover all that as a family and have each other to count on. And the whole work aspect felt like it was safe so that I didn't have to worry about it. I think we all look for things of comfort, consistency, the things that are familiar to us so they don't put us out of our comfort zone or create fear or, like I said, uncertainty. You know, as you pile up some of that confidence that comes out of that, that familiarity, kind of contentment, if you will, as well, you can start to be more bold in different areas. So it's like, oh, hey, you know, there's enough familiarity, enough confidence here. We can make this move and we'll go make it happen. So that's what we did. We moved down here. After being in, relocated now for for about a year, a year and a half at that point, my boss was no longer working with the organization. It was a very abrupt transition. Um, I found myself reporting to a different leader within the company. I started to learn that maybe other folks that I, were, I was working for now didn't maybe hold my work in such high regard. Um, I felt like I was constantly trying to prove myself to an organization that I'd already spent 10 years working for. And with that came, we had a new house, right? And so had a new new mortgage payment, had a new child, right? Added another, another addition to the family in that time frame. And on top of it all, we're only a year and a half into relocating and we didn't really have... Outside of the people who we knew that had also relocated with work, we didn't really have a support system. And we were 10 hours away from closest family. With that kind of pillar or leg in the tripod, whatever you want to call it, kind of being cut out, that was a huge deal. Now it can jeopardize the other legs of the tripod. It, it jeopardizes everything, right? And the interesting thing... Or so it appeared, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there there's different parts of it. So, so kind of that gets us to this point where you know Justin's thinking we're going to have an aneurysm at a at a Bible study group. Is essentially what it was. My wife and I talked about it, and we felt like we had to start establishing or be more active, deliberate about setting up our own support structure after our relocation because we really hadn't attempted to. We've been kind of enjoying it exploring new places, new areas, finding new things to do and all that. And it, and it was fun. It was great. But now all of a sudden I feel like I'm trying to run a race on one leg and I, I've never done that before. That impacted the rest of, rest of my life. So we started to make this choice and we just decided to say, hey, you know what? Since our move, we really hadn't found a church home. We'd been relocated for, like I said, about a year and a half and it's like, no, this is a way for us to establish community, and it's a good community to be a part of. My wife didn't really grow up going to church, attending regularly. I did. And thankfully, you know, that was, I knew that to be a family outside of my immediate family. When I started to look around, how do I build community? How do I get connected with other people? How do I, in some way, like-minded individuals who have a foundation on something other than what they benefit from it? Um, this seemed like a really good place, you know, and so we got into this group. It offered child care. My wife was able to get into a Bible study group. I was able to get into a Bible study group. The kids were taken care of. It started, it's kind of what I would call the climb out of the whole situation. Now, a little bit of context at that time, 
I was managing to probably sleep at most three to four hours a night. Uh, and let me tell you, that's not healthy. Like if you haven't already figured that out or if you haven't heard, right, that's not good for you. It was, it was the craziest thing. Like I would pop awake or mostly lie awake after going to bed and just think about all the things I had to do for work, knowing that I could not do anything about them at that time. You know, whether that was at 12 a.m. still trying to fall asleep or popping awake at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning thinking, I really need to get some more sleep to help myself be healthier, like keep a clear mind, keep a sound body, you know, be there for everybody who's depending on me, work, family, otherwise. Knowing that I should just try to go back to sleep and be a better person after waking up, but I couldn't manage to do it. All that would race through my mind is, oh man, I got to do this and that and the other thing for work, knowing that I couldn't do anything. As a manager, right, that's also part of it. Like there's very, there are things that you do, but you are very dependent upon other people to fulfill their responsibilities. And kind of my role is to provide them direction, ensure they have all the help, everything they need. So I'm literally sitting there thinking of things that I can actually not even do. Like I'm not skilled or equipped to even do it. So that's the space I was. I had my wife telling me I should quit my job. Because you were at wit's end. When I met you, you looked like a guy who was ready to just say, screw it. Load the kids into the van and head for Alaska. Yeah. Like, I, I can't take this anymore. I mean, th- weeks and weeks, probably months of not sleeping, but a good night might be six hours, right? Five or six hours of sleep. But having a few months of that, well, I mean, that's kind of what it does. I mean, it takes a physical, noticeable toll on you. And again, it's not much. It's not something I could, con- I didn't feel like I could control. The transition started at, we wanted to make sure we got part of community. We wanted to make sure we were developing a support system, again, outside of the folks that we come here with. And so we started to get engaged, meet other people, talk to others, kind of get God's word spoken into our lives at a time when we needed it also. And there were, I mean, if you were to go back and look at my Bible app or even the paper Bible I brought, the hard copy, like the things that are highlighted are all about worry and I'm terrible with quoting scripture. It's all, half of it's out of Matthew. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worry. Today has its own worries, right? And God's got this. It took me a while for that to like even sink in. And even though I was hearing it, it's a very different thing to live it. The transition for me was, I, w- I went from thinking about work the whole time, you know, before I went to bed, as I was waking up, early, way too early, thinking like work, work, work. I'm like, man, I got this. And not not that I have it, but like, God's got this. I don't need to worry about this. So I went from thinking about work at three in the morning to, hey, I don't have to worry about this. God's got it. We can we can recover if anything happens. Like, because that was it. ultimately, like I'm worried about getting fired and not being able to provide for my family. And then I would run myself ragged trying to prove myself to a whole load of different people who the initial impression I got was they had zero confidence in my work um, or very little at that point. Establishing connections outside of work was very important. Additionally, at work, my first boss transitioned away, uh, basically got promoted. I got a new boss, a gentleman who's very experienced 
in the industry that we work in. Also, a good, kind-hearted Christian man, too. And, and I think he noticed it some, too. And he kind of helped walk me through finding my footing again in that element at work. So I had another mentor to come alongside to replace one that I had previously and had, had grown very comfortable and friendly with. And, you know, we were we still are friends to this day. But I started to get some more footing there. Someone who would help me along, help build up back some of that confidence in that aspect of my life that I had lost. How big of an impact did it make that your boss kind of picked up that mantle? As a, I'm assuming he's older than you. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I, he's got kids that are right around my age. So, so I mean, so an older man reaching back, like how big of an impact did that have on helping you? Because you were way past Redline when I met you. You were way past it. So this guy, he's your boss. Mm-hmm. So he stops and recognizes maybe even, oh, my God, that looks just like I did before somebody grabbed me by the shoulders and said, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I don't. And I don't even know. He may not even know how how big of a role he played. I don't know that I recognized it at the time. But what I had was someone walking alongside of me who had kind of been there, done that. And he's like, it'll be okay. Hey, let's let's do this. He was taking the product of my work, basically, and reassuring me that it was good. Hey, this is exactly what we needed. This is what we wanted to go with. Right? These are sound decisions. He was reinforcing so much. I never asked him. I don't know if he knew it. I don't know if he recognized it. You know, I, I no clue. And like I said, I don't. I'm. I can guarantee you. I can tell you that I don't think I recognized it at the time. But I mean, it, that was a big deal for me because you know we we talked about or I talked about how that one portion of my life just kind of vanished in a heartbeat in terms of putting your value. I placed my my value so much in that one area to have it go away. And then he rebuilt it and he, oh, he helped me rebuild it. Like he yeah. played a big part in the rebuilding process. Is it fair to say that your level of worry was far more grandiose than the, the scale of the situation? Well, and that was one of the things that he was providing. It's like, all right, Hey, we've done what we can. We did our presentation. We turned it over, right? We've, we've gathered the information and that we need others to make decisions on, right? And you've provided that. You are managing your team. You are performing, you know, what you need to be doing. It gave me someone to bring a product to and say, hey, this is what we did. This is what I'm thinking. Here's why. And you'd be like, looks good. In hindsight, and afterwards, he's, I learned these things. He's, he's taking all that stuff and passing it along. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is what Stan's doing. He was working how he knew to build me up with other people, you know, where I thought some folks may have held me in very low esteem for my capabilities. He was taking the work I did, recognizing it to be good and presenting it as such. He didn't take credit for it. He didn't say they were things that he was doing. He didn't even say that, Hey, this is what I told Stan to do. He just said, here's what Stan did, you know, kind of in a, in a weird fashion or, deliberate fashion he started turning the people who i thought who i believed thought very little of me and they ended up becoming huge advocates for me within that organization um actually got me more opportunities as part of that i mean that's the 
physical manifestation of all that. So there was a lot that happened in the workspace. I think outside of the workspace, and I've been doing. Well, we first kind of bounced this idea around a little bit ago uh, in terms of doing this kind of discussion, and I think it's fear that drove a ton of it. And there's just there's fear. I think can have a a deeper impact than what we might imagine. I think the most most we usually think about fear is like I'm afraid of heights, right? So I don't want to walk on high places or I don't want to travel down a zip line to <laughs> a cable by the seat of my pants basically. You know, and those things are fear and they they inhibit us from doing specific activities. But I think fear has a deeper impact on life because what I started to realize or I realize now looking back is I wasn't afraid necessarily of losing my job or specifically like that that prospect was an unsettling prospect but I started to probably honestly be afraid with well I got to start all over again and I'm not starting at a new company in the same position I was before which was you know a college graduate full of energy and no responsibilities to anybody really but myself. You know, I've got a family, I've got a household to support. And I looked back and I saw what I put into getting where I was and was very afraid of having to do it all over again. So you had already jumped ahead to a future that never even existed. Oh yeah. It, it never and you were even in occurred. it, you were planning it out. Yep. You were, and it never even came close to becoming reality. Part of what I was struggling with was, I was, pred- I was predicting a future that never took place, right? Like you mm-hmm. said, and kind of like one of those things, just thinking of some of those weird thoughts that would encounter that I'd encounter while I'm lying awake or popping awake, man, I've, I haven't interviewed in so long. Well, I don't have to interview yet. <laughs> I ain't been fired, right? I haven't updated a resume in so long. Yeah. Like, I need a well, new I don't sh- need to. Yeah. <laughs> right? The realities of the moment were that I didn't have to do any of those things, but it was such a foreboding thought. Like it, it just captivated me in, in many ways, right? It occupied my mind space such that I was predicting they were going to happen. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of that. Like it was terrifying the first time I'd done it. I don't want to go through it again. And I certainly don't want to do it with the extra burden I felt I had as well. You know, it's going through all that. So again, th- this gentleman at work, as that started to get more stable and I felt like I had someone walking along with me at work and helping me out and someone I could turn to a new mentor, I was able to get more focus and really start to process it more like that, the entirety of the situation. And I want to stress to the guys listening. So Stan's job didn't change. His supervisor did not change Stan's role. It was all it was, was Stan's boss engaging Stan to assuage his anxieties that he wasn't that he was he was letting people down which was a it was a fabrication in Stan's future that hadn't happened and never did happen and it it, it was just one man reaching back into another man's life and suddenly a whole future reality that never existed but Stan had already planned it out and was getting ready to iron and go get a new suit and iron it for his interview that never would happen in a future job that wouldn't happen from his getting fired that didn't happen. 
then his family not being able to eat, which also didn't happen. And it really only took that older man in a more senior position reaching back and saying, it's going to be okay. That's it. That's all that changed. Yeah. I, I, th- I mean, that was... Well, that's not all that... That's it, what changed at work. Yeah. In that space, I think that's what changed. I think also accompanying that change, like I said, we, we started to go to Bible studies, my wife and I. We started to meet new people. We started to get engaged with, with more folks who... Even just knowing that there were other people out there, not even going through hard times, right? Just other people to engage with, to get ourselves out of thinking this was the only thing. Because I think that was part of the challenge in the whole relocation and the move. We moved. We didn't really branch out. Like, we didn't spread roots in the area. We didn't talk to anybody else necessarily. You know, we started to meet folks here and there as we got the kids involved into activities, and we met, we met some great people. But that was kind of a slow roll because the kids had to get old enough to do a sport or an activity or something like that for us to even go with them. So we were not even having those connections that kind of having children forced us to have. Getting someone into a t-ball league, well, they got an age requirement. So you can't go do that until your son's six o'clock, six, right, or five or whatever. Yeah. They weren't that age yet. You know, so I think there was some delay there. I think the other thing, too, is having the Bible study, having that group of men with similar situations, right? You, you started to see that you're not alone. And I think part of what kind of got me through it was I was able to kind of sit back and really kind of like a non-judgmental way, or maybe it was a judgmental way, and be like, I kind of know what that guy's going through. I've been through something similar. It's not my current situation, but here's my advice for that guy. At one point, I'm like, well, I should probably listen to my own advice on some of these things. And so that kind of hit home too. Being in a, in a room of, of gentlemen who are all together having their own issues and their own walk of life and realizing whatever season they're in, again, may not be the same as yours, but they're traveling through something that is dragging them down and thinking like, well, I can help you it starts to make you think about like, well, if I'm going to tell you to, to do something maybe that maybe help you, I should probably do the same thing, right? And take a look at my own life. So I, th- I started to be more introspective about what was I really worried about. The realization that even having these people at work, in community, making new friends, having all those people around supporting you, like the reality that kind of struck me was that I've always had someone walking with me and just ain't never paid attention. And the reality is, like, I fully believe that I would get through every situation and God would take it. Like, He would help. He would walk me through whatever, you know, the troubles and, and problems I had that I was facing. He would be present to help me go through it. He wouldn't take them all, though. Like, he's not just, like, I'm, I still have to be there. I still have to walk through that fire. I still have to walk through those troubles and, and address them. And I think it, it was it was weird because I still had that fear of, but I still have to go through it. Nothing there says you don't have the troubles just disappear, right? Or you still don't have to put in the work to kind of get through the. You still have to walk through the fire. It's there. You don't need to be afraid. But yes, you're still going to have to walk through it. And I think that's the kind of thing that that kind of again g- getting other people in my life to encourage, right? Give confidence that you can do it with that help 
it, it's a huge thing. Seeing other people that have done similar things and, and made bold moves and operated while having a lack of confidence, but still becoming successful, or even if they aren't, that they still took that step. And for me, I think like that's where some of the stress started to melt away. I just foundations in certain areas got built up stronger than they were before. Um, I started to build more and more confidence in myself. I started to take action to even shore up where, where I thought I had deficiencies, even in the workplace. I had someone building me back up, but then I also was able to like think about it objectively and say, like, what else can I do? So if the same thing happens, I don't lose that confidence again. I mean, I went back and got my master's degree, largely in part because I was encouraged to by that boss, largely because I felt like that is something that I could do that even if it's in my own mind, it makes it so if I get knocked down again, I'm not going as low as I was before. I have more confidence in, for the, the situations that never came up, they become less worrisome. So like the prospect of going and looking for a new job, interviewing resumes, spending a, a decade with an organization only to kind of have that ripped away and thinking like there's, I have no value to another company outside of what I can tell them. I don't always talk about my work in terms of the things I've done very well. I don't, I'm, I'm terrible at expressing it, but I was able to, to look at it as, well, if I go get this piece of paper, I'm, I'm getting like, I'm credible now. And the reality is, is it didn't make me any more credible. I went and got a master's degree for something I was already doing. I spoke with as much experience as half of my professors into the classes that I was in. You know, I think that's part of the realization too, was I didn't really need that paper to, to feel confident, but that experience helped me feel more confident. Well, and, and it opened my sense, eyes yeah. into, into different areas like, like you ain't doing this on your own. Like I didn't make myself smart enough, intelligent enough. I didn't craft my own work ethic, right? I, I truly believe it's all part of how God molded all of us as individuals and surrounded us with the people to help continue molding in that way. But it opened my eyes to like, I don't need that, but it is helpful. Like that's the, I think the kind of thing that it's super hard to explain. I realized that at the time I didn't need to go get a master's to be a valuable employee to another organization, but it helped alleviate some of that worry. Right. So it started to, it kind of snowballed, mm -hmm. right. And it, it feeds on itself in a positive direction, the same way you can have it go in the opposite. Well, it puts you in an environment too, where you realized where formerly you might've viewed a professor as a uh, superior. Now you're looking at him more as a peer. Absolutely. And so yeah. that alone right there, it would be something that, I mean, I, I think that's a guy thing. I think guys tend, or maybe it could just be, maybe women do the same thing. I do the same thing with, I mean, there were things that, I mean, throughout my life that like I have sh shined at and excelled at. And it's only now decades later that I look at it and I'm like, I can't believe that I thought I sucked at that. Yeah. Like that's, that's. I mean, kinda, even if you don't look at it and be like, I'm the greatest, like that's not, you'd probably never, ever hear me say that ever. If you do, I'm probably joking, but you're good at it. You can do those things. You can hold your own with peers in other industries, similar roles, you start to actually assess yourself amongst those who you're 
you're not really competing with, but who you feel like you're going to be judged amongst. So that's a good point. I don't know that I really ever thought of it that way, but you know, you start to operate in a space and you demonstrate and you, you build up another peer network of a professional peer network outside of your organization where those folks hold you in some fairly high regard as a competent peer. And again, none of those folks were working at the same place, doing the same thing I was. So it's not like I had the same, it's not the same cast of people evaluating you or judging you in your mind. Like you're playing those games in your mind, but it's a completely different crew of people um, and folks doing that. So, and I think a tendency, I think there's a tendency in, in our culture to withhold that from people when they need that little boost of assurance, that little boost of confidence, when you like when you recognize that this person excels at this, like this person's really good at this, to just offer those words and say, you know what, dude, you're really good at this, or you are really wired to excel at this. Like you're even better than that, you're way better than I am, and you're half my age. Like just a word of encouragement, like in case nobody ever tells you that, you have a gift for this. Like maybe you have gifts for other things, but at least in this one thing right here. And I look at the people around me, even in, in you know, in, in in construction, when I pass those words on to exceptional people, like they don't believe me at first. And I'm like, no, I'm being I'm being dead serious. Like, like you have a gift for this. And like I what I don't want you to do is fall into a rut where you think this is it. Because you're if you will just put your wings out in a couple of years, you will have we will be so far in your distant past, but I want you to get there. I hate to lose you, but I want you to go there because I don't, I want you to go and inspire other people younger than you in a way that I can't because this is your thing. And I, well, before we wrap up, I wanted to get to, I remember this. It seems like it probably was only months after I met you because you were like, you look like somebody who had just gone cold turkey off heroin or opiates when I met you. Seems like it was a few months. I remember you walking into the men's group and you had such a lack of concern on your face. Your shoulders were relaxed. Even in your gait, your walk, you were totally chill. And you sat down and I remember, because I remember several guys asked you like, like you were noticeably different. And I think you said something along the lines like, I just don't give a, if I get fired. And I genuinely mean that. And like you had let that go and like everything about your face, your body posture, the way you carried yourself, the way you talked, the way you listened. It was it was a it was a fairly sudden transition with you. I do remember that much or it's at least that's the way I remember it. Yeah. And I don't know that I could point to that. Right? I don't it's not like I looked in the mirror and saw the same thing. But eventually, like all that takes a toll. And you look around yourself and you're seeing that it's taking a toll on other people too. You know, my wife was pretty open and candid about like she didn't even like the, the, the people who came in and filled the positions, you know, that in her mind made me feel this way. Right? They did this to me. Like she still don't like them people. I mean, <laughs> like she don't have no good words for they them. They were attacking I mean, her husband. Kind of. Yeah. Like, and, and really it was ruining to her in her mind, it was ruining our space as a uh -huh. family. And to me, 
I think the biggest thing is there's this conscious realization that, again, blending, you got different aspects of your life that make you up as a, as a person, as a human, right? You got, you know, in my case, I have a responsibility as a husband, a, a father, um, an employee of an organization, as a friend to others. I think it's very easy where you can find yourself in a situation where they all hinge on one thing. Right. The reality is, is they're, they're like four legs to a stool. But if you balance your stool on a single dowel or a pole, that's a pretty precarious spot. And I think it's pretty easy to get that way. And I think just through the various experiences with other people at, like I said, at work, which is one of those concepts that is like, that's part of who I am. You know, the realization that, but that's not all of it. And all the other legs on the stool you know, in terms of you being able to be a father and a husband and a friend aren't, they don't all hinge on what you are at work. They're um, still legs. Exactly. Even if one of them breaks. Um, I can play catch with my kids and I can talk to them about different aspects of life without showing them how successful I am at work or making sure that I make a certain amount of money so that, you know, we, it isn't a big deal for us to sign them up for athletics or, or sports or, or do whatever they want to do to be fun. It, it all doesn't hinge on the one thing. And I think that was the biggest thing. It's like, you know, if I had to go, I don't know, start cleaning bathrooms instead of working in IT, you know, being in such a prestigious position or whatever. And they probably ain't going to catch that on my sarcasm on my face, right? No, um, yeah. No, but, he's uh, – um, Stan has a pretty dry sense of humor. So, <laughs> no, he's totally – He's totally um, talking smack. It, it all doesn't hinge on that. And in fact, they, they all balance with each other as opposed to on on one or the other. So for me to be like, hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm just so anxious and caught up in my work life that I can't even enjoy having, you know, playing catch or teaching my, my son how to throw a ball or to just hanging out with him and playing right? Legos or whatever. That kind of hit me a little bit. On top of my, I get like I said, my wife was pretty open and, and honest in discussions about like, like you're not even fun to be around. Like it's gotten so bad with you. Like we, it's you're not the same person. So I think all those things made that realization. It is different parts of our lives that make us up as a whole. They all don't depend so heavily on one aspect of your life that by it going away. You know, something else will come in. Something else will come in to, to make you whole. In my case, I'm very fortunate. Like, there were no substance abuse kind of issues. Like, I didn't didn't turn to alcohol or anything else. Yeah, that would have been a shame if you turned to... I mean... Turned to becoming an alcoholic over an, a, a, something that didn't even exist. Yeah. And then... <laughs> I mean... Um, no, but I mean, here's the here's the sad part. Because a lot of people will. Yeah. It's the worry and that fretting and the stress and the anxiety over something that doesn't exist. That if they don't have an outside, another man to speak into them and say, brother, what is it that you're actually fearful of? What is it that you're actually worried of? Well, this. But that isn't real. Yeah. Like that doesn't, that that's in your head. So now you're going to make sure, you're going to pick a more hard and fast way to derail your life. At least when it's your imagination. 
they can't physically come after you, but now you're choosing a different manifestation. They can come after you. I, I just, I always see Satan's handiwork in it. It's well, and it, you're right. It, it depends on the folks there. It depends on some of the influences you had before then too. Like I'd seen enough of it to know that that wasn't a way to go. So I knew where not to go. Having seen various instances, either within my family, with friends, with acquaintances, mm-hmm. other people to know, and there, there are definitely things not to do, but I didn't know what to do. And I think in some ways that kind of puts you in that spot where that anxiety builds or remains in you because you don't have an alternative. The only ones you know of are the ones that you know not to do. Fortunately, again, with with how I was brought up, with my experiences that I've had in my past, with those around me that I was starting to bring in and surround myself with, I had reinforcement that those weren't the right things. And so I was able to avoid them. Not everybody has that luxury. So I, I, I recognize that fully. It would have been very easy to just head down that path and try to fill that void or a perceived upcoming void, <laughs> right, uh, with something else. And you would have actually created that future. Oh, it, it, it didn't exist. Self-fulfilling prophecy, yes. right? Um, and it probably would have destroyed so many other things. So, I mean, in my mind, ultimately, kind of coming back to what you're saying, like, there, there's like that cathartic moment. And I, I didn't see it, but I know some of the things that went through my head about that time. And it's, it's not, it's not, it's not four legs or, or it's not a whole chair sitting on one leg having to stay balanced, right? They're, those are all still pieces that are important. They make up who you are. They help you kind of define who you are. And it's not all this one thing in the world. And it's and, and part of it is you see that or you experience it, maybe, but you also have to believe it like and truly believe it. So, it, you know, we're, yeah. It, I don't know. So, no, that's so, sometimes that, it's hard to put words to. No, that's okay. And I, and I think we're, we're hitting the point where I think it's been explained. And so I think that's, well, I think we'll just wind it down. Probably over explained and rambled a little bit. No, I would have, I, I didn't let you go. <laughs> I didn't let you go there. So if you're listening, just as Stan said, that's a really good illustration of the, of the legs. Whatever it is, you might be 18 and listening to this or 15 and your girlfriend has, said that she doesn't love you. And, and so suddenly you think that that is the one leg that holds up your chair. But it's not because you had a leg in that corner of the chair before you ever met her. There, The stool was propped up. Same thing if you've just lost your husband, I mean, your wife or your, I don't know who listens to this. But if you've just lost your spouse, before you met that person, you also had legs under the stool. If you've lost your job, it was still there. So I'm going to guess that throughout your life, there have always been legs under the stool. And from time to time, a leg gets pulled out and swapped out for something different. It doesn't mean that the stool can no longer stand up. So don't throw in the towel and don't give up. And just like Stan did, that's why I brought him on here is the transition was even now, nine years later, it's still the imagery in my mind is profound. And I I wish I could take you through time. And if you're stressed out, redlined man all i can tell you is it's not the end of you and your stool will still stand and most of it is in perception in fact almost all of it is perception so we'll leave this one we'll leave this one alone with that stan thanks for coming back i appreciate you sharing some of that story and this will wrap up episode 93 and i'll catch you on the next one